on this special day, we continue our grand celebration. Um, Zach Whitson was uh, just uh, sharing with me um, as he um, asked a question earlier this morning at a sunrise service. Uh, where are you going to be whenever Christ comes back? And that was easy for them. You know what? You know what it said? In church. Think about it. If you, we were all together and He came back and we just met Him in the air and we'd all be going together. Have you ever thought about that? Wouldn't that be great? Hi. Don't <laughs> He's coming back. That's a neat thought. Well, we know where we're going, don't we? We know absolutely where we are going. Um, Albert Einstein took a train trip. And uh, on this train trip, uh, he was uh, there with his ticket. And then all of a sudden, he couldn't find his ticket. And the conductor came by and uh, was taking up the tickets. And Einstein, the great mind, couldn't find his ticket. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, it's got to be around here somewhere. Where's my ticket? Where's my ticket? And the conductor said, it's okay. It's okay. I know who you are. He said, no, 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 no. I, I've got to have my ticket. It's around here. And he said, forget it. Don't worry about it. And so the conductor went on down the line taking the tickets. And then he looked back and he saw Dr. Albert Einstein on the floor on his hands and knees looking under the seats and on the floor and everywhere looking for that ticket. And the conductor said, it's okay. It's all right. I know who you are. And Einstein quickly replied, I am. That is no problem. I know who I am. But it's where I'm going. I don't know. I just heard that yesterday morning. Matter of fact, but I said that before. Back probably, I don't know, months ago or something. But anyway, do you know where you're going? Yeah, because of the resurrection, you know exactly where you're going. And uh, so I, I heard the, um, uh, the, the uh, answer. And so I thought, hmm, that's right. We know where we're going. What man could not do in living perfectly according to God's perfect standard? Man couldn't do it. Whatever God commanded, God could do in the person of Jesus. And what God could not do in dying perfectly for sinners, man could do in the person of Jesus Christ, who was the God-man alive. He had risen from the dead on the first day of the week. And that's the first day of new creation. It happened. The stone tomb that he had been laying in was the womb through which the very new creation was born into the world on the third day in the person of Jesus Christ, the glorified and resurrected Christ. Everything changes because of that empty tomb. Everything. Everything in your life, you trusted in Christ, changed. The, all of history and all of the future of mankind comes right to that point in time, back to the cross and then the resurrection. It all goes to there. And if one trusts in Christ's sacrifice, then he finds himself having new life. We're going to be using that word new today a lot. Everything is new, fresh. And uh, all things are new because of the crucified and resurrected Christ. On that third day of the old world, it began the first day of the new world or new creation. It dawned 
A day dawned on that third day, which was the first day of new creation. The day is dawned. And uh, we think back in Luke's Gospel, whenever there were angels making the great announcement of a birth, the birth of the one who was going to prepare the way for the people as as it led to His death on the cross for our sin. In that same Gospel, in Luke's Gospel, at near the end of the book, he has an angelic announcement of a birth. It's the birth of a new creation because of the death of Christ and then the resurrection. And there is our way of peace to live with God for eternity. Man, that is power, isn't it? I heard some powerful voices this morning singing. And... um, God gives us that strength to do that, but that power of the resurrection. So we're going to be looking at just a few ingredients in uh, this making all things new. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm going to have you stand. We're going to read God's Word on this. One of the greatest things in the world is hearing the resurrection. This is a long passage. It's a chapter. Are you ready? Okay. Follow this. This will make it feel like it's Resurrection Day if it hasn't already. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Amen. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as a nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other and about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus Himself approached and began traveling with them. Imagine it. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing Him. And He said to them, What are these words that you're exchanging with one another as as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to Him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. 
but also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning. He did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as exactly as the women also had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They approached the village where they were going. He acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he shook, took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen, and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened, and thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of a broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Now I said to them, These are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Father, thank you that we have had our hearts open and we can understand your scriptures as the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and we worship you here today, right now. Give us the wisdom of understanding more of your word. 
In Your Son's name, amen. You can be seated. Aren't you glad? (laughs) We could stand here for, what was it, uh, in Nehemiah, they stood for eight hours or something like that? Word preached? New life. That's one of the new things that happens. Because of lack of time, we only have like about five different things here today. And uh, we'll cover these really quick. We have more to do in this worship. Luke 23, verse 56. We were in 24, right? The very last verse of Luke 23, before we got into the text, reads like this. Then they returned, prepared spices and perfumes. Here's, here's where we're talking about. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. On the Sabbath. And then the first verse, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, found the tomb empty. Notice first how Luke signifies the end of the old world. The Sabbath. They rested there. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. The old covenant period fully comes to an end in this statement, for this would be the last Sabbath to really be observed. Sure, they'll pick up on it later, on that first day of the week, they'll continue to do it, but it'll get bigger in that in that sense. But usually they would observe the first day of the week. And here is the last day of the week that's really the first day of new creation. New creation, it's the new covenant, has just now been effected. On the first day of the week at early dawn, Jesus' dead body, bloody body, was placed in the tomb. We know that that happened. He died on that Friday and the beginning of the dawn of a new day came on the first day of the week. And now we celebrate as the very people of God. On the first day of the week, we do it every week because it's a celebration of the new world, of the new creation, a new time period. And it's characterized by a resurrection life. And that's why we worship on Sunday. That's why the really is uh, this is the first day of the week. Makes sense. This is a good way to start the week, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Usually think of it as the seventh day, but it's uh, really the first day of the week. This is new. So when the disciples go to the tomb, they find uh, the women go to the tomb, the stone's been rolled away, and then Peter and John go there and... Uh, What did you get as an angelic announcement? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. The point there of the angelic announcement is the fact that they had been strongly, intently looking at the Old Testament Scriptures that had been written and what God had told the prophets for ages and trying to understand this Gospel. This is incredible. No man could have ever come up with the Gospel. No man could have. As only God could do the Gospel, this Gospel of grace, and nobody can understand it. Nobody. Unless He opens their hearts. We just have seen that. If you'll turn back to... um, Look, uh, I would say look, Luke 2. Look at Luke. Look at Luke. Luke, at Luke. It's 
chapter 2. The shepherds are out in the fields. Verse 12, it says, This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. That's suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude. The heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom He is pleased. What a praise there as the angels are today. Today in the city of David has been born for you a Savior, right? And of course they, they make that announcement. Well, if you look at Peter, first epistle of Peter, Chapter 1, verse 10. Mm-mm. As to the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. It was like they put their magnifying glasses on and and there they are. They're, they're, They're looking at this. I mean, they're really studying it. They're really looking careful. Searches and inquiries seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as He predicted the sufferings of Christ and glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things, which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel, later the apostles, to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And now they're making this announcement. They're still looking at it. They're amazed at God's story of grace. This gospel. What a message that they give here. Why do you seek the living among the dead? They're getting something here that they knew about the Scripture, they knew about that, but now it is come. Can you imagine? And then as they tell it then to the women that are there, the angels of the Lord are saying to them that there is new life because of the resurrection. This is the glorified Christ. And He's the one who offers peace. God is pleased to offer that grace. This Jesus has been born. He lived a perfect life. And He died for sinners. And now He has risen. That's what the angels have seen. And that's what the disciples had seen. And they don't get it yet. Rather than finding a baby wrapped in claws, swaddling clothes lying in a manger as a sign of God's favor and grace. Now, Peter looks in there and sees that the grave clothes are left by a resurrected man with new life as they had even been folded up and put over there. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He said that before, hadn't he? I am the resurrection and life. Though they die, shall live also those ones who believe. John eleven twenty five. Jesus, by that power, that resurrection, He lived a new life. 
It wasn't that he needed to be born again. We're the ones that needed to be born again. But he was raised again for our justification, as Romans says. He offers this new life so that people can become new creations. The ones who will trust and believe in him as he opens their hearts. So that's one thing. That's pretty new, isn't it? New life. Do you have new life? Well, we also have a new understanding. And it's said that the ones who came to the tomb were perplexed in chapter 24, verse 4. While they were perplexed about this, they couldn't find the body of Christ. They were concerned. And the angelic messengers remind them of what Jesus said. They didn't really understand it. To the disciples, they don't understand. Matter of fact, they don't even believe it. The words that were just said, that they've been told before. Matter of fact, the disciples have been going around saying, Who's going to be the greatest? And they should have been said, I'm the least. Who's going to be the greatest? Many times, I think you would say that the disciples just didn't understand what Jesus was saying to them. In John chapter 12, verse 16. John 12, 16. Jesus. has just shown Himself in the triumphal entry and the crowds are huge as He rides in the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. These things His disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of Him and that they had done these things to Him. When the Holy Spirit empowered them, all of a sudden they got it. And you'd say, this is easy to understand. What's the big deal with them? I would have gotten it. No. But it sounds so easy on the other side, doesn't it? But that doesn't come naturally. It's the Spirit of God that makes this happen. It's a new understanding that we would have never had on our own. That's why the world doesn't get it. That's why the world does what it does. And that's why the world is not really celebrating this day. We're the only ones, the people of Christ, all over the world, who can really celebrate. And this is one of the greatest celebrations in all of history of mankind, this Resurrection Day, isn't it? As we remember this. And we have reason to shout. We don't want to be quiet about it. Holy cow. Where do they get that? We have something to shout about. What was in the mindset of the apostles? Well, if you entered into their thoughts of what was going on at that time, they had been enthralled. They were amazed at what Jesus had done. They had been following for a little over three years and they were just overwhelmed. And three times he says, I've got to go to Jerusalem and die. And he didn't elaborate on that. They didn't really catch or get or want to get the idea that he's got to go there and die. Die. That's a hard thing to grasp. The human mind, matter of fact, cannot grasp that. He did tell them that he would come back alive. They didn't understand that. What, what this ultimately means for men and angels 
that only through the very gracious Spirit of God can we fully understand what this is about. And here on that road to Emmaus, Jesus catches up with these two followers and they're very sad. And it seems like their hopes had just been dashed. Even though somebody is going around saying that he was uh, alive and So, we look at Luke 24, verse 27, beginning with Moses, with all the prophets. Moses, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 uh, 2 Samuel, 1 2 Kings, Chronicles, on and on through, prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, on and on, Daniel. And they have a long way to walk. It's like seven miles. That's not going to take uh, seven minutes. It's going to take a long time, a few hours. He's able to be able to get this across to him. And you know what is really key there? He explained to them. He interpreted the Scripture to them. Or, this is where we get our word hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. It's the science of biblical interpretation. There are rules. He goes back and supports it one scripture after another. He explains what this means by taking scripture and showing that this is real. We're just not taking things out of context. So he interpreted, he explained, he gave them hermeneutics. We don't have Jesus with us today physically walking with us, do we? We don't have him on that road to Emmaus like they did, and they were able to understand then after so much time. Later on, you can bet they understood even more. He sent forth his Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 180, explained about that. And that's where the understanding of Scripture exploded off the scrolls by his grace. A new understanding of the Scriptures like no man had ever had before. And I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Yet we speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. Mysterion, something that was not known before, but now has been revealed. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, that would not have crucified the Lord's glory. But just as written, things which eye has not seen or ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man... All that God has prepared for those who love Him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Do you want to understand the deep things of God? Why do we listen to preachers on the radio and on the internet? Why do we get books and read them? Why do we get the Scripture above all and read it? And then why do we come to church 
focuses on Him that we can know the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught from human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining the spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he cannot. He cannot, do you get that? He cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. They can't do it. It's impossible. But he who is spiritual appraises all things. Yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. A new understanding, folks. That passage there is one of my favorite in all of Scripture. And it's only by the sovereign grace of God can we do that. We can take all the reasoning. We know that 500 witnessed. We know that um, we we believe rationally that Jesus is alive. and uh, We know that uh, His body could not have been stolen as it was under Roman and Jewish law. There's no way that could have been taken. It has to be supernatural. You can think of all the, the witnesses of the apostles willing to give their lives, willing to die, and they did, for somebody who told the truth. Would you die for a lie knowing it? And that many of them, especially they were chicken before, remember what they did? They ran when Jesus was arrested. So reason alone does not suffice. Evidence is great. We can tell that all you want to people, but it's God who has to open them up. Evidence alone is not enough for faith. It starts with that. Luke 16.31 If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Luke 24.11 Our unbelief is so bad that even Jesus' close disciples the closest. When they heard of this, it says, and they did not believe the testimony of the women who saw the empty tomb. They had been told before, it's a new understanding that came to them and it's only by grace. Thirdly, we move on very quickly. A new man. Resurrection bodies. The resurrection of our body. Jesus has shown that there is an ultimate destiny. Where are you going? You know where you're going, right? You have your ticket. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee. It says that in Romans or in Ephesians chapter one. The, first, the disciples at first in our text today in, in Luke twenty four, whenever they, he appeared out of nowhere, he wasn't there, and in a split second he was standing right in their midst, and they had their eyes open, and there was light there, and he wasn't there, and he's there, and so they think he's a spirit. And he says, oh, "Give me a piece of fish, and I'll eat it." Now I've never seen a ghost eat. Fish or any kind of food, right? That's another reason to believe, right? They still had a little trouble with that. Yeah. There's a new Adam. In 1 Corinthians 15, we don't have time to read it, but there you will see that there was an old Adam and we died in him. 
we died in the sin of Adam. But now there's a new Adam, one who raised from the dead, lived a perfect life. Not only a perfect life, but He took our sin. And we are earthly. He is heavenly. And He takes us from being natural man into bringing us into eternal glory. We're new people. New creations. Another thing we have is new power. He sent the Holy Spirit. In John 7, verse 37, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to Me and drink. He who believes in Me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. I think we saw that in one of our songs, didn't we? At this He spoke with the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. He rose. And 50 days later, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, empowered the church, each individual. The Spirit dwelled in the people of God. The Holy Spirit powerfully equips us with a new understanding. We're new people. We have a new power as we are equipped powerfully to put off the old man in our sanctification. We can put it off and put on the new clothes. We've already put on the new clothes, but we are to continue to be being filled with the Holy Spirit so that we would live to the glory of Christ and no longer living to that old kind of life. You're new. Lastly, new worship. I'm skipping over a lot of things, folks. Because we have a lot of things to do yet, and we want to get out of here even before noon. We really do. It's all good? All right. Well, let's do one verse then. Luke 24. I got permission. <laughs> In our Luke 24 passage, verse 53, and to show you, we're right at the end. Matter of fact, um, 52. And they, after worshiping Him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. This, this is after His ascension now, okay? Ten days later, the Holy Spirit will come. They were continually in the temple praising God. You know what? They didn't even have to go back to the temple. It says right there that they worshipped Him right there as He was gone. He ascended. And now they continue to have worship in spirit and truth and they weren't in a temple anymore. They worshipped in spirit and truth. Luke's Gospel actually began in the temple of God. Luke's Gospel ends with the temple of God. They went back there, but the thing is the temple of God now is going to be His people. Of course, the Holy Spirit will come very soon. But they're not worshiping through signs and symbols and types as they did in the temple. They're worshiping Christ no longer under the old covenant signs and symbols, but the new covenant. And you think they learned earlier on the road to Emmaus, those other disciples, the 
the signs, the symbols, the types that were taught in the Old Covenant now are now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Those Scriptures spoke specifically of the Messiah and they were walking with Him. The disciples' worship is now in Christ. And it's for Christ. It's all Christ-centered. He's at the heart of this all today. From the very moment the, the young kids came up here, even before that when you were fellowshipping and we were practicing and we were getting ready for this special time as this particular time comes to an end and I look forward to this every year. It's, it's like the height, the peak of it all and I can't believe it. It's almost over in this sense. But when you go home today, you will continue to worship Christ. We just won't be all together. But as one of the Whitsons said, He's going to come back and we're going to be in church. <laughs> and I'd prefer that if we were just together and boom, right? Oh, you know what? It is very glorious. This is a rehearsal of what we're going to be doing in eternity. Much better. I had mistakes doing stuff as we moved along there so quickly, trying to read my ten-point type that I put out. Made mistake right after mistake. And I'm... Things are just flying by, and here we are. The temple of God was not really where they were really worshiping God. They were worshiping from here. No longer to have circumcision. No longer to have bloody sacrifices. But to worship in a new creation. You, you see, we have no altar here. We have no animals here. We don't even have any uniforms that we wear. We just worship in spirit and truth. It's all based upon the Word of God, right? God on the last day, as far as the worship of God, that Sabbath day now has moved over to the new day, the new creation. That was all buried in the tomb. And new life came and the fulfillment of it all, in spirit and truth, and that's why we're here the first day of the week. New creation. And we experience that. Because this new day of the creation has dawned in the resurrection, the light has been turned on. If you've ever been in a dark room and you don't really see too much, you see some furniture in there, but it's dark and you don't know what is what, and you're afraid to walk any further because you might stumble, and then all of a sudden the light is turned on, you had a little bit to go by, but all of a sudden the light just burst in and now you can see everything in there. Does that happen to you quite frequently? That's the way it is becoming in the new creation. But whenever glory comes, folks, we're just seeing in a glass dimly. We are not seeing much, but we're seeing what God has revealed to us and it's everything we need. But whenever He just opens it all up, can you imagine? This glory that we cannot explain. Remember the disciples? They couldn't even really understand what all that was going to be. Well, that's kind of the way it is. We've been revealed all this and look in Revelation and the great glory there. We can't define it. Live as new creations anymore, people. Live it. Live it like He means it. And we end in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 and 55. And as I read this, I want our band or whoever's playing this next song to come on up and that will lead us into our communion. And uh, I'm thinking I'm going to be able to get you out of here before noon because you probably have some Resurrection Day meals planned and uh, plans. And uh, it's not that uh, I want to limit God's Spirit, but uh, He's given us plenty of time here and uh, kind of the way it works out.
1 Corinthians 15 says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Are you ready? Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The immortal. The mortals go into immortality. And that's what we wait as we resurrect. It's a mystery, folks. You're going to wonder, how's this song go? And to be honest with you, we didn't get a chance to practice this today together. We have never done this. It's totally unrehearsed.
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Let's all read that. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We're talking new life. We are new creatures in a new creation, still living in a sin-infested world and still cursed, a fallen world. But we have been renewed and with a promise to come that we will not live in this earth the rest of eternity. And we can shout joyously. We know that Scripture has given us that kind of understanding. And uh, what I'm going to do now is ask, ask Luke to uh, help us all go to the Lord in prayer and uh, as we think on what He has done. Lord God, it's really incredible to fathom this tremendous act that the incarnate Christ has come to earth and to die on the cross. Primary purpose was to die for your elect. To to give your life as a ransom. To have our old nature, our sin laid upon you on the cross and in, you imputed in return your righteousness. That is the only reason why we can rejoice. That is the only reason why we can come into the very presence of the Lord is because we have an imputed righteousness upon us. Not our righteousness. It wasn't anything that we have done. It was all your doing. And we come to rejoice. We come to praise you. We thank you that we serve a risen Christ. We serve a living God. And the reality is within us. The Spirit of God resides within us. That is the testimony of the risen, the risen Christ. And now we will see you again. We shall see you because we will be risen from this body. We, will, we ourselves will rise. As, new, as the fruits of Christ, as the bride of Christ. And Lord, we give you praise for that. We are so thankful that we have a new life. A new life is incredible. And so, Lord, I pray that as we take these, these typology of who you are, that it is your body, it is your blood. And we give you praise that we can do that. And we look forward to the time when we will do this in your presence as you lead us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus said a blessing that Passover night. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. Brings forth bread from
the kernel of wheat that was planted in the ground arose, showed up, just like in spring, you have all those beautiful flowers, things getting ready to come up or have come up, springing up out of the ground, green, new life. And then he said another one, Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth fruit from the vine. Once again, new life, and we say, Hallelujah! 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 Praise the Lord.